Book Two, Chapter One of Amelia, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence. Amelia by Henry Fielding. Chapter One, in which Captain Booth begins to relate his history. The tea table being removed, and Mr. Booth and the lady left alone, he proceeded as follows. Since you desire, madam, to know the particulars of my courtship to that best and dearest of women whom I afterwards married, I will endeavour to recollect them as well as I can, at least all those incidents which are most worth relating to you. If the vulgar opinion of the fatality in marriage had ever any foundation, it surely appeared in my marriage with my Amelia. I knew her in the first dawn of her beauty, and I believe, madam, she had as much as ever fell to the share of a woman— but though I always admired her, it was long without any spark of love. Perhaps the general admiration which at that time pursued her, the respect paid her by persons of the highest rank, and the numberless addresses which were made her by men of great fortune, prevented my aspiring at the possession of those charms which seemed so absolutely out of my reach. However it was, I assure you the accident which deprived her of the admiration of others, made the first great impression on my heart in her favour, the injury done to her beauty by the overturning of a chaise, by which, as you may well remember, her lovely nose was beat all to pieces, gave me an assurance that the woman who had been so much adored for the charms of her person deserved a much higher adoration to be paid to her mind, for that she was, in the latter respect, infinitely more superior to the rest of her sex than she had ever been in the former. "'I admire your taste extremely,' cried the lady." I remember perfectly well the great heroism with which your Amelia bore that misfortune. Good heavens, madam, answered he, what a magnanimity of mind did her behavior demonstrate. If the world have extolled the firmness of soul in a man who can support the loss of fortune, of a general who can be composed after the loss of a victory, or of a king who can be contented with the loss of a crown, with what astonishment ought we to behold, with what praises to honor, a young lady who can with patience and resignation submit to the loss of exquisite beauty, in other words, to the loss of fortune, power, glory, everything which human nature is apt to court and rejoice in. What must be the mind which can bear to be deprived of all these in a moment, and by an unfortunate trifling accident, which could support all this, together with the most exquisite torments of body, and with dignity, with resignation, without complaining, almost without a tear, undergo the most painful and dreadful operations of surgery in such a situation. Here he stopped, and a torrent of tears gushed from his eyes. Such tears are apt to flow from a truly noble heart at the hearing of anything surprisingly great and glorious. As soon as he was able, he again proceeded thus. Would you think, Miss Matthews, that the misfortune of my Amelia was capable of any aggravation? I assure you, she hath told me it was aggravated, with a circumstance which outweighed all the other ingredients. This was the cruel insults she received from some of her most intimate acquaintance, several of whom, after many distortions and grimaces, have turned their heads aside, unable to support their secret triumph, and burst into a loud laugh in her hearing. "'Good heavens!' cried Miss Matthews. "'What detestable actions will this contemptible passion of envy prevail on our sex to commit?' An occasion of this kind, as she hath since told me, made the first impression on her gentle heart in my favour. 
I was one day in company with several young ladies, or rather young devils, where poor Amelia's accident was the subject of much mirth and pleasantry. One of these said she hoped Miss would not hold her head so high for the future. Another answered, I do not know, madam, what she may do with her head, but I am convinced she will never more turn up her nose at her betters. Another cried, What a very proper match might now be made between Amelia and a certain captain, who had unfortunately received an injury in the same part, though from no shameful cause. Many other sarcasms were thrown out, very unworthy to be repeated. I was hurt with perceiving so much malice in human shape, and cried out very bluntly, Indeed, ladies, you need not express such satisfaction at poor Miss Emily's accident, for she will still be the handsomest woman in England. This speech of mine was afterwards variously repeated, by some to my honour, and by others represented in a contrary light. Indeed, it was often reported to be much ruder than it was. However, it at length reached Amelia's ears. She said she was very much obliged to me, since I could have so much compassion for her as to be rude to a lady on her account. About a month after the accident, when Amelia began to see company in a mask, I had the honour to drink tea with her. We were alone together, and I begged her to indulge my curiosity by showing me her face. She answered, in a most obliging manner, "'Perhaps, Mr. Booth, you will as little know me when my mask is off as when it is on,' and at the same instant unmasked. The surgeon's skill was the least I considered. A thousand tender ideas rushed all at once on my mind. I was unable to contain myself, and, eagerly kissing her hand, I cried, "'Upon my soul, madam, you never appeared to me so lovely as at this instant.' Nothing more remarkable passed at this visit, but I sincerely believe we were neither of us hereafter indifferent to each other. Many months, however, passed after this before I ever thought seriously of making her my wife. Not that I wanted sufficient love for Amelia. Indeed, it arose from the vast affection I bore her. I considered my own as a desperate fortune, hers as entirely dependent on her mother, who was a woman you know of violent passions, and very unlikely to consent to a match so highly contrary to the interest of her daughter. The more I loved Amelia, the more firmly I resolved within myself never to propose love to her seriously. Such a dupe was my understanding to my heart, and so foolishly did I imagine I could be master of a flame to which I was every day adding fuel. Oh, Miss Matthews, we have heard of men entirely masters of their passions, and of hearts which can carry this fire in them and conceal it at their pleasure. Perhaps there may be such, but if there are, those hearts may be compared, I believe, to damps, in which it is more difficult to keep fire alive than to prevent its blazing. In mine it was placed in the midst of combustible matter. After several visits, in which looks and sighs had been interchanged on both sides, but without the least mention of passion in private, one day the discourse between us, when alone, happened to turn on love. I say happened, for I protest it was not designed on my side, and I am as firmly convinced not on hers. I was now no longer master of myself, I declared myself the most wretched of all martyrs to this tender passion, that I had long concealed it from its object. At length, after mentioning many particulars, suppressing, however, those which must have necessarily brought it home to Amelia, I concluded with begging her to be the confidant of my amour, and to give me her advice on that occasion. Amelia, oh, I shall never forget the dear perturbation, appeared all confusion at this instant, she trembled, turned pale, and discovered how well she understood me by a thousand more symptoms than I could take notice of, in a state of mind so very little different from her own. At last, with faltering accents, she said I had made a very ill choice of a counsellor in a matter in which she was so ignorant. 
adding at last, I believe, Mr. Booth, you gentlemen want very little advice in these affairs, which you all understand better than we do. I will relate no more of our conversation at present. Indeed, I am afraid I tire you with too many particulars. Oh, no, answered she. I should be very glad to hear every step of an amour which had so tender a beginning. Tell me everything you said or did, if you can remember it. He then proceeded, and so will we in the next chapter. End of Book 2, Chapter 1 Recording by Lawrence.